Howdy, folks. Rob Knox is Drunk Knox is back again. This will probably be the last for a couple days as I will be out of town. <clears throat> I've learned about this guy by the name of Paul Joseph Watson. He's a Brit. And he's got a lot of good points. But I wanted to respond to this particularly. Conservatism is dead. And so is liberalism. Liberalism has turned into the very thing it was sworn to dis destroy, which is fascism, tyranny. But conservatism never really had a, like a, I guess you could say like a meaning. It was mostly just a bunch of church-going people who wanted to get rid of abortion. And in order to make themselves into a larger movement, largely jumped onto the Nixonian platform of law and order. For them, they really don't care much about law and order so much as um, it's hard when you're dealing with, with religion, especially for me, because I don't understand religion, because I never really understood it. That's why I'm mostly agnostic, apathetic, or atheist. <clears throat> Depends on the day. But the big question here is, what is there left to conserve? You won't protect the environment, which was big for Teddy Roosevelt. Environmentalism has been hijacked by the left and has turned it into, let's protect everything regardless of how important it is. Oh, the, the western tuft mouse may go extinct. Okay, well, what does it contribute to the environment? Well, it largely destroys crops. Okay, so that's a good thing. In a generation, they'll all be dead. But then you get the bleeding heart. We have to save the mouth. Why? Who knows? Largely, you'll save the mouse. And then burden the government with protecting it so that it'll grow back into a population. And then they'll just eat all the corn. So the big question we have to ask is what is conservatism? <clears throat> For me, it's not even about conservation. It's really about protecting what some people think is an assault on their freedom. So they're conserving what I like to call the kernel of hope, or the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. The thing is, they built it, and no one's coming. And the people who are, are like-minded. You're not really expanding upon it. It's why Reagan had such a hard time getting to where he did. Because at the end of that long day, I'm tired of saying at the end of the day, I'm trying to find a new metaphor. At the end of the string, it's just the end of the string. Do you know why the sexual revolution was successful? I, and this bothered me up until about a week ago. <clears throat> See, I'm not a father. I'm, I'm not a parent. So it's hard for me to understand this, but a friend of mine helped me see it. 
Do you know why the sexual revolution succeeded? Because every mother was saying don't do it, but was secretly hoping they'd win. Every mother wants to see a woman succeed. Every woman wants to see another woman succeed. There's just, that's, that's beyond society. That is a, not even a cultural thing. That is a sexual thing. Just like men love it when other men succeed, women love it when other women succeed. It's like a, it's that altruism. You know, oh, you got a job that pays a lot of money? Oh, you go, girl. That sort of stuff. Or, bro, man, you got a new job. Let's go get drunk. Man, yeah. They want to celebrate your victories. But the question is the men, and the men controlled the society. So why did it succeed? Well, because nothing makes a father more proud than to see his daughter receiving a diploma and then getting a well-paying job and marrying and having a great family. That's what every man wants, a successful child, whether they're male or female. And a lot of these men in the 60s are looking at their daughters going to school, protesting. You know, They want equal pay. And a lot of these men are looking at their daughters, and they're not, uh, they're not disgusted. They're not disappointed. They're proud. My daughter did something. My daughter is my blood, and she did something great, <clears throat> which is a reflection back on me. It means I did my job. It means I did that as a good parent, and still am. And when he sees his daughter going out there into the workforce and working hard, finds a you know a husband or you know today's world a wife, you know, he's proud. She's doing something that makes her happy, and she's doing it well, and, and she's a good kid. And I'm proud of myself, and I'm mostly proud of her. She learned all the good lessons in life, and she's applying them properly. That's why it won. And that's why this 1950s nonsense isn't resonating with people, because men are not hearing what they want to hear anymore. A lot of men are like, well, it'd make the society run a lot easier if we shared We've been running this game for thousands of years, and you know a lot of men die young from overwork, exhaustion, because you know the women, yes, they're taking care of the home, but we could be sharing in this, and that's what a lot of men are thinking today. You know, I'll do the dishes if you'll do the laundry. You're not overworked, I'm not overworked, and we're sharing. That's what millennials like. They like to share. That's what they were told as a kid. You're always going to share with people. That was the biggest lesson I learned as a kid. Sharing is indeed caring. And this idea that we're going to put the genie back in the bottle, it's been going on for too long. Yeah, sure, it could go back if the United States collapsed and the whole world went into you know another dark ages. But there's too much at stake to allow that to happen. Because th there's a thinking today that China and the United States are going to go to war sometime in the 21st century. However, geopolitics has changed. It used to be that there was this thing called the balance of power. The Europeans always talked about this balance of power. Because they were arguing over a small allotment of land. <clears throat> Europe's, you know, if you count all the European Union nations, yes, it's about the size of the United States, but the United States is kind of square-shaped. It's a rectangular shape. I mean, sure, there's Texas and Florida, 
and then there's the kind of small part off to the northeast with Maine and Connecticut and Vermont. But America is largely rectangular, meaning that there's a lot of latitude and longitude for you to live. You're not kind of boxed in into France or boxed in into Germany or boxed into, the, you know, into Austria. And then you have the Alps. And then most of Italy is the Apennines, a large mountain range. So it's not like it, you know, Europe is very mountainous. Europe is very, there's a lot of rivers and there's a lot of mountains. And so what livable land there is, and they have the same population we do. But America really only has three mountainous regions, the Appalachians, the Rockies, and the Sierras. And that's about it. And there's a lot of room in between all of them. In between the Appalachian and the Rockies is about 800 miles. And the distance between the Sierras and the Rockies is about 500, 400 miles. And that's not including the, you know, the thousand miles down from Idaho down to New Mexico and all of the land in between. <clears throat> America has room to grow. We have tons of room. Most of it's farmland. Heck, half, over, I think, 56% of the United States is farmland. 30% is mountainous. And the remaining is, you know, swamp or down in the bayou. So largely, the United States has an advantage that other nations don't. China has a lot of problems. China has a dry, arid desert out to the west that is mostly unlivable. It's kind of like, if you, have you ever been to Death Valley? That's the Gobi Desert. It's one of the worst places in the world to live. There is literally nothing there. No one wants to live there because you can't grow anything. There's nothing there, and China has a lot of great cities on the coast, such as Beijing or Shangzhou, or uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And their interior is largely marshland, um, a lot of rice paddies, and farmable land, yes, which is why China is as powerful as it is today, because it has the same sort of rectangular shape. There, it, It's not like Europe, where there, it has to, it narrows as you go down into Spain, China has a lot of open area, and there's no choke point in the country uh, that would be strategic. So if you, that's why China had a hard time holding itself together, because really the only strategic areas are in the east, on the uh, Yuan River, uh, the Yellow River, or the Yangtze. <clears throat> but largely the west is just farmland, lakes, rivers, but not a whole lot of big rivers, just a lot of lakes. And, and I don't know much about China's geography, but I know enough to say that the east part of China is strategic. It has a lot of military significance. It's why most of China's history has been fought on the eastern side rather than the western. Um, the western side is more open plains going into a desert. Much like the United States has a lot of strong rivers in the east, but not a lot of strong rivers in the west. The Mississippi is on the eastern seaboard side. <clears throat> and all the other rivers and tributaries run into the Mississippi itself, the Missouri, uh, etc. So the most strategic assets in the United States are on the east, except for a couple on the west, such as uh, San Diego with uh, the 7th Fleet headquarters. 
and of course uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, which are strategic in their cultural value as well as financial. Uh, Google is in the San Francisco area. Apple and all of them are in the San Antonio region. Uh, not San Antonio, that's Texas. Uh, San Jose, which is just north of Los Angeles, that San Francisco area is very technologically driven. And then you have Seventh Fleet uh, in San Diego, <clears throat> which is also a cultural icon because of Comic-Con. which is just a 45-minute trip down south from Los Angeles. So largely, a lot of the territorial and geographic assets of the United States are in the east. A uh, majority of the interstates are in the east, uh, as the east is harder to, to traverse because of the length uh, and depth of the Appalachians, as well as the fact that the country was founded on the right and only moved west. And largely the Midwest, as we call it, uh, and then there's the Upper Midwest, are largely farmland, uh, open plains. There are some, you know, and then you got the lakes. And there are some, you know, hills and slight mountain ranges, but nothing on the scale of the Rockies or the Appalachians or the Sierras in the eastern part of California, <clears throat> which actually are to this day still used to demarcate where the boundary is. The legal boundary of the state of California follows the Sierra, uh, uh, follows the trajectory of the Sierra Mountains. Because they were the hardest to traverse. Uh, mostly the only way to really get information in the older days before they built roads to get into California, you had to either go north and head to Fresno and Sacramento, or you had to head south to San Diego and cut back through to Los Angeles. Now they found a way. Uh, to Los Angeles, but it's mountainous and it's kind of cold. So it was used as a, as a summer pass, not as a winter passage. And that's why you have the Santa Fe Trail and the Oregon Trail, which came down through, well, the Oregon Trail went to Oregon, so it went through Fresno. And then you had the <clears throat> Santa Fe Trail, which took the southern route. So you would have to come in, and if you want to get to the middle, you'd have to come to the north or the south and go down. Whereas China, they're largely bordered by Mongolia, which is, if you want to argue, a puppet state of China and also a puppet state of Russia. It's used as what is called a buffer or a border buffer. It's essentially the Russians and the Chinese don't want to fight over Mongolia, so they'll just let Mongolia be there. And they're going to interfere in those politics, but they're never going to let either take it. And China's fine with that. Mongolia is mostly open steppe. There's not a whole lot of farmland. It's not uh, commercially strategic. There's not much commercial... There's not a whole lot of wealth to be created there. And Russia thinks the same because right above Mongolia is Kam the Kamchatka and eastern part of Russia, which is largely just... What do they call it? What do you call a plateau that's covered in ice? I forget, but it's largely just ice. It, nothing will grow there anyway. And the people who live there are largely just, they're fine to not really get involved in anything. And China's West is... <clears throat> and I know we've gone away from it, but we're going to come back. Because I'm largely talking about today. 
something that's more important than what went on 50 years ago. Sure, the United States may have been more stable 50 years ago, but that was largely because we couldn't do anything. All right, so China has a lot of problems on its west. Uh, it has what is known as the stands, which are part of the Golden Horde. And if you don't know what the Golden Horde is, that's, you know, Genghis Khan. Um, they controlled the steppe, which today is Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan. Um, even parts of Afghanistan, the northeastern part. And this was controlled by the Mongols, but they fell apart after Genghis died. And so these areas are largely difficult to control because they're arid, uh, meaning that they're dry. Uh, there's not a whole lot of moisture here. Uh, there's not a whole lot of rain. And so growing things is largely difficult. <clears throat> and whatever you can grow is not exactly diverse. Now there's the Caspian Sea out there to the west, but China borders these, what were Soviet satellites, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, and China and Russia fought over Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, but they were used as buffers during the Soviet era. Afghanistan's always been kind of like a no man's land. There's really nothing there. And has largely been a place for people to argue. The British and the Russians fought over Afghanistan. Heck, even the Parthians tried to invade several times and they never really accomplished anything. The only person to really exert any influence was Chandra Gupta, but and after he died it kind of just it became rural again. And then you have Largely kind of right up there is the argument between Pakistan and India. And that's a problem for China because China, India, and Pakistan all share a border and they're all nuclear. And Pakistan and India hate each other because the Hindus and the Muslims hate each other. The Hindus being the last pagan religion, um, polytheistic. Buddhism is not really a religion so much as a spiritual philosophy. You don't worship the Buddha. You worship the tenets of the Buddha. And then China has its sphere of influence in Nepal and what is called Tibet, but you won't find Tibet on a map because it's considered a part of China. And then you have Bhutan, but that's largely a buffer state against Bangladesh. And China has control over everything around Bhutan. So Bhutan is completely surrounded by China. In the same way that, what's the name of that country? Lesotho and Eswatini are in regards to South Africa. It's a country that is largely inside another country. The only other approximation to this in the United States is the native nations. But they don't have real governments, and the United States does not recognize them. As governments, they recognize them as largely 
and just tribes living in. China has to deal with Burma, Myanmar, but Myanmar has always been a junta, a dictatorship. And then Laos and Vietnam, although have always been within the Chinese sphere of influence, have in the last 20 years built up uh, financial uh, districts working with the Philippines and Singapore, Malaysia. and have largely liberalized and have become friendly with the United States after a bout of communist dictatorship. They have begun to liberalize and largely all the enmity between the United States and Vietnam is gone. Uh, the United States and Vietnam have signed uh, trade deals uh, using the Philippines as a vector. As well as Singapore, they make a lot of money from Singapore. Cambodia and Laos will always be kind of poor, relying on their neighbors Thailand and Vietnam and Malaysia for that. Um, but Thailand makes good money. They still have spices and they also work in the uh, trade of uh, chemicals such as uh, for clothing. Textiles. My dad went to Thailand several times. They have great textile mills out there. <clears throat> As does Bangladesh and Singapore and then the Philippines and Indonesia, as well as China itself. But then you have uh, Taiwan or Taiwan, which is, you know, contested between the United States and China. It's kind of like a no man's land. It's neither free nor independent. Hong Kong's been in the news, but Hong Kong is a special case. We're not going to go into it. But largely, this is what people are trying to conserve. They think that the order as it was 50 years ago is perfectly fine for today. The problem with that thinking is that eventually things have to change because people eventually become ambitious. Another generation comes up and says, you know what, we're tired of Taiwan being free of communist control. We're tired of Hong Kong being free of communist control. I know that Mao and, and Dong Xiaoping made their you know, concessions, but that was Dong, and that was then. Dong Xiaoping is on his last legs, and now Xi is in charge. It's a new generation, and we're going to make some new choices. It's time for China to move forward. And that involves North Korea as well, because North Korea is a buffer state to keep the United States off of its border. If, Korea's, if the Korea is united, America is friendly to South Korea and Japan. That would put America within striking distance of the United States. Uh, United States would be in, within striking distance of Beijing, which Beijing is slightly inland from. So if you look at North Korea and go west, about uh, literally from the border of China and North Korea at the sea, if you go west about 150, 200 miles, you run into Beijing. <clears throat> or the English called it Peking. I don't know how a K became a J, but it's just how English deals with Mandarin. So obviously China is extremely insecure about North Korea. They don't want the Americans anywhere near their border. And the border with China is the northern border of North Korea. And then you've got Japan right there, which is a US ally, which boxes China in on the east, the northeastern part. And this is a geopolitical strategic threat to China. Huge strategic threat. China has one aircraft carrier, 
two are being produced, but it takes 10 years to build an aircraft carrier, and it takes 40 years to learn how to use them, as the United States has shown. And the United States has in service about 12 to 15 aircraft carriers uh, of the fleet variety and not the marine uh, helicopter retrieval variety. I'm talking about the big old airplane launch. I'm talking about fighter jet carriers, also known as large carriers or super carriers. And the United States has about another 10 more of the smaller carrier variety used by the Navy and the Marines as a helicopter transport, troop transport. And they're largely for rescue missions or for uh, targeted Marine or Navy exercises. They're not used for what is known as fleet. They're not a fleet carrier. <clears throat> and China only has one of these things. And it's, a, it's borrowed. It's, I think, the Admiral Kuznetsov. It's a Russian carrier that they bought. Yes, the Admiral Flota Soyetskogo Soyuza Kuznetsov. The Admiral Kuznetsov. And launched by Brezhnev, and it was sold to the Chinese as part of the USSR's wind down as it went into the Federation of Russia, or the Russian Federation. And so China is using it as their prototype. Uh, to build their own fleet. So what does this have to do with conservatism? The problem is conservatives view China as a mortal threat. Uh, China is the same size as the United States by geography, uh, including Alaska. If you remove Alaska, the United States is about a third smaller, because Alaska make, makes up one-third of the United States' total landmass. China has a population of 2 billion, roughly. The United States has about 335 million, roughly. So we're not even half the size of the Chinese in terms of people. And people are a source of labor, and labor produces wealth. So that is an economic threat. If half of China became middle class, they would be three times the size of the United States population. The United States middle class population is about a hundred million, roughly. So one billion people would be a hundred times, one billion middle class Chinese citizens would be ten times the size of the middle class of the United States. That is an economic threat. If China ever figured out how to make half of its country middle class, that would be a severe economic strain on the United States and Europe, because the United States and Europe combined are only about 700 million people, not even a billion. The conservatives are wildly out of their game. They have no idea what they're talking about anymore. They only speak in terms of military because they think the only way to scare the Chinese off is to threaten war. Because obviously China has more people, but could you train a billion people to fight? No, there's no way. Then no one has that amount of money to fund an army of a billion people. Not at this point in time. Not if you want them to stay loyal. 
the average army pay in China probably about twenty thousand U.S. dollars, which is about the same as America. Maybe slightly less. But why would China pay that amount of money to their military? Well, to keep it loyal. <clears throat> you overpay. You pay people twenty thousand dollars U.S. a year to be an officer. Yeah. Now they're they're. Their infantry are probably being paid about ten to twelve uh, U.S. Uh, ten to twelve thousand U.S. Maybe even less. Average China soldier pay. So it's about the Republic of China. The ROC Armed Force soldiers earn about thirty thousand annually. Or about 14 an hour. So the People's Liberation Army is paid roughly the same as a U.S. soldier. <clears throat> the amount of money made by a soldier of the People's Liberation Army is probably 10 times that of someone making good money in a factory. Factory workers uh, for iPhone and Android devices largely make probably about three thousand a year, and these people make thirty, which would make the private first class royalty. Just getting into the Chinese military would make you wealthy in terms of the average pay, as opposed to the United States where you could work in a call center and make the same amount of money as a soldier. And that's largely what is known as PPP, Purchasing Price Parity. It means that a civilian could make as much as someone in the Army, or vice versa, meaning that w joining the Army will make you roughly the same amount as someone in some sort of tech-oriented job, or service industry. The problem with the conservatives is that the culture war was fought and won, and by the time Reagan left in the 1990s, really is 88, but well, 89, but by the time Reagan leaves, the culture war is over. Women begin to get more degrees than men in college and begin to increase their numbers in the management class to the point where. In 2015, during the Obama administration, women achieved 51% of all managerial jobs, meaning that women held 51% of all posts in a supervisor or manager role, middle management role, which is about $60,000 U.S. And so, and now we're beginning to see, I think it was 2016, where women achieved 51% of all college degrees, which ensure a sort of middle management role in society. Men are beginning to decline in their abilities to achieve this. There are various reasons for this that I won't go into here. But the whole point is, is that the culture wars are largely over. And that's why we're beginning to see this ever-increasing screaming to take care of the la last of the oppressed because the big oppressions are largely gone. Uh, I work in a tech field. 
and I have a coworker who's black, and he told me 30 years ago he was the only black guy on the job. And now I'm in the minority. I'm one of three white guys in a room filled with Indians, uh, Asians. Uh, we have African Americans, whites. We have Latinos. We have everyone equally represented. And I'm in the minority. I'm only one, about one of three white dudes down there consistently. When management shows up, balance tips in my favor. And that's just, you know, old dogs can't be taught new tricks. But largely, the racial barrier is breaking down. It's about dead. And while you may be in a field that is heavily white, that doesn't mean that it will always be. Times are changing. They've been changing for 30 years, but it's largely gone. And this whole claim that the KKK and racism is taking back over the country is largely projection. It's an irrational fear. I don't see it. I don't see it. Man, I'm not racist, so at the end of the day, I don't see it. No one sees it. The only people who see it are people who have weird abnormalities. They think they're women when they're men, and they think they're men when they're women. Mental illness. It's largely forgotten. And they want a part in the society. And many kids want to be part of a big movement. You know, they want to be part of that, you know, the march at Selma. But they can't. The march at Selma happened 50 years ago. Over 50 years ago. It's over. And the, all these kids, they want to be heroes. Everyone wants to be a hero. But the hero's already won. The battle's over. The war's done. There's not much left to be a hero for other than dressing up like a chick and cutting your balls off. And I don't even know if that's even heroic. Wow. You're mentally ill. Family friend did that. He went through the whole transition. And four years later, met a woman that he wants to marry, and she wants kids and won't marry him. Because he doesn't have testes. He can't produce children. And now he's frustrated because he had the surgery, and now, he, now the girl that he wants wants kids from him and he can't provide him because he had it all caught he, he, he had the whole surgery and now he's depressed and we're worried he's gonna drop on drugs he, you can't go back once you cut it off you can't go back why because gender is societally constructed sex is not once you cut your balls off they can't reattach them mentally ill and, and he's frustrated and I'm frustrated because he was convinced that he could go back. That gender was socially constructed, but he didn't realize that gender and sex are completely different. You can be submissive 
you know, there are a lot of gay men out there who are submissive, but they don't, you know, they don't go in for surgery. It, it, it is mental illness. The country has been hijacked by 0.00001% of the population. And for what? So they can pretend to be women? Sure, you have a vagina now, quote unquote, but do you have ovaries? Do you have, do you have a do you have a uterus? Do you have fallopian tubes? No. Okay, then you're not a woman. Next case. But I'm a woman. No, you're not. Women have ovaries, they have fallopian tubes, they have a uterus, and they have a vagina. Why? This wasn't designed by, you know, Steve Jobs in a lab somewhere. And then society came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the vagina 2.0. No, this was designed by nature out of necessity because the only way to continue producing the species is through this organ. And then there are multiple organs involved in the whole process. And just because you cut off one organ it doesn't make you the other. It, it doesn't. So a male to female transgender will never have children the natural way. They'll have to adopt. Why? Because you can't 3D print a uterus yet. I'm sure they're probably working on it. It'll be made out of tofu. It's just madness. These people are mentally ill and they're being led astray by a bunch of feminists who abandoned the cause of feminism in the pursuit of just let's tear down the whole society. And it makes no sense. There's no, you're ruining people's lives so that you can make up some story. You're turning fiction into fact. And that's just wrong. You're ruining people's lives for nothing. For some weird sexual fantasy. And that's what this is about. It's about men who are thinking they can be women and they can please another man. Just be gay. There's nothing wrong with being gay. Just be gay. Why do you have to go do all this stuff? <clears throat> Just be gay. And then lesbians are trying to become men. And that's where I lost it is where a lesbian said, well, my lover wanted a more masculine lover. And my only thought was, you could have found a man. A lesbian who transitions to becoming a man. And they still call themselves lesbian. And you literally can only think of one thing. bang your head on a table because a lesbian wants a more masculine lover. A lesbian wants a masculine lover. A lesbian wants a masculine. And, and that's where they lost me. A lesbian who wants only women wants a masculine. And masculine is male. And 
please try and explain that logically to me. Don't use emotions. Don't cry. Don't get all vented. I want mathematically how that works. How a woman who only wants a woman who's also masculine. I, I went straight over my head. Or a gay guy wants someone who's more feminine. Well, you can act feminine if you're a dude. It's not that hard. You just act feminine. Feminine is just submissive. We've been doing this for 100,000 years now. But we have to have a philosophical discussion. I'm not going back to that, seriously. That, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're... It's like trying to figure out where to get the signal using rabbit ears on an old TV. I know a lot of kids today have cable. But back in the day where, it, let's say, the you know, your cable went out and you wanted to get TV... You could move the rabbit ears, these little telescoping metal things, and you had to move them around to get the right signal so that you could watch TV. That's largely how people did it. Okay, for the last time, Apple, I clicked close, and you you showed. Ugh, I'm getting. This is the last time. I'm getting tired of Facebook, Google, Apple, everyone. You need to update. You need to update. I'm tired of updating. I'm tired of all this change. There's so much change. It takes me it takes me an hour just to read through your change notes. And so I just stopped reading them and just updated. And then the software doesn't work and it says in the change notes it might be buggy. And you're like, "Oh, well, thanks. I had to read through 100,000 words to find out it might be buggy." The whole society's lost sight of humanity, of dignity. Don't give me software if it doesn't work. I don't care that you're beholden to releasing software every year. I don't need a new phone every year. I don't need new software every year. Just give me something every two or three years. I'm, it's, maybe I'm just getting old, and that's the problem. I'm just getting old. I'm an old man now. Stop with all the change. It just doesn't make sense to me why we have to change everything right now. Why? One does have to happen right now, and then the microwave culture comes in. I bought your Velveeta noodle thingy, and it said it takes one minute to cook in my microwave, and it took two minutes. Two whole minutes. I could have jerked off in that time. Okay, well, why didn't you go jerk off? Because at the end of the day, you're lucky because you could have waited 30 minutes for what it used to take to make macaroni and cheese. I don't know about you, but it... The old-fashioned way of cooking macaroni and cheese is about an hour. And you can have it in about a minute to two. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. I, I, know, I know life is tough. And we all work eight hours a day. But God forbid, one minute mac and cheese takes two minutes. 120 seconds. What am I going to do with my life? Well... Siri set a timer for two minutes. Do, do, 
is how I check my Facebook. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. Keep scrolling. Check the timer. I'm bored of Facebook. Let's go over to Instagram. Let's see what's going on on the Instagram. Oh, she's shaking her ass. That's what they all do on the Instagram. Saved. Oh, look, there's a. About drinking on the couch. Well, I don't. So put it up. Don't roll your eyes at me. Keep scrolling. I guess we'll find out when the timer's up. Oh, another case for the iPhone. An ad. Oh, that's a beautiful house. You know what? I'm bored with Instagram. Let's go to Reddit. Oh, wow. They're using Frank again. Yeah, it's getting boring. Let's check the news. What's Trump up to? Is he impeached yet? Oh, Energy Secretary Rick Perry subpoenaed in the House impeachment investigation. I don't know how energy has anything to do with... Oh, oh we've reached two minutes. If you can't wait two minutes for, you know, cheap mac and cheese, then you're probably retarded. In two minutes, I used three apps. I went on to a fourth, but I ran out of time. Seriously, two minutes. I could have used the restroom. And by my standards, I probably could have taken a shower. My fastest shower is about 90 seconds. Get in, immediately get wet, throw the shampoo in my hair, throw it out, put the conditioner in my hair, throw it out, hop out, dry off, 98 seconds. Wash my hair and my body. 90 seconds. You take a four-hour shower, uh, you're polluting the environment. You're wasting water. You're an awful person, and I hope that the 16-year-old retarded kid from Sweden has convinced you. When your best advocate for your cause is a 16-year-old girl with uh, autism, uh, your cause is lost. Completely lost. But no, keep crying because a 16-year-old girl with autism cried. I would cry if a 16-year-old girl cried. Why? Because it's not nice to watch other people cry. You know, it just kind of hits you like, oh, God, she's crying. I guess I'll cry. I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing this. It's just part of my biology. Thanks, God. Where is this going with conservatism? There's nothing left to say. You got capitalism, and you've got patriotism. It's about it. And if you want to save the other ones, you have to save those two first, and then you have to win the House and the White House. Can't sit home and not vote.
You can't sit there and say, well, Trump's just a jerk. Well, you know, Trump's actually fighting, unlike you, bitching and moaning about his tweets. I voted for him because he's a fighter. And you know what? Fighters have to be mean because you know what happens in war and what happens in fighting? We have to be mean. I would never send half the country into battle because if I had to send half the United States into battle, we'd probably lose. They'd be triggered by having to hold a gun.